That's how it starts. The fever, the rage, the feeling of powerlessness that turns good men cruel. Welcome. I am Andrew Dice. And I am Stephen Colbert. And this is Batman v Superman by the Minute, a rewatch podcast, a minute at a time, the sequel to Man of Steel, the setup to the Justice Leagues. Uh, we have reached minute 33 of the film. We left off with Lex getting his, his first ask of Senator Barrows granted access to the Kryptonian ship. Seems like a simple request, but in minute 33, boy... Does this feel like Lex's big coming out party? It's like he got something off of eBay and the person that sold it to him has no idea what it actually was. Yeah, this is um, Lex's big moment, so cue the music. This is the most outrageous minute of the movie, <laughs> and it is clearly designed to be so, and I could not love it more. The You were kind of saying the music immediately gets this really, really cool shift in like even the instruments that are providing the music as he approaches the, the Kryptonian ship and then him going through security. It's, it's an interesting way of cutting this together because we're going to come back to him sitting there. I, it's like... One of the only times in this movie. Like you were saying, it's, it's outrageous. And the like Lex's body language associated with the theme, it makes it so perfect that that is his theme at all. But I think it very much goes to show the, like, he's just this kind of scrawny geek, but he commands this power. The moment that I thought the clothing that Lex is wearing looks dumb is the same moment that that bombastic score kicks in. Yeah. And it is... I think the intention is we're supposed to revel in – I could see someone maybe not enjoying the level of bombast or feeling like it is almost operatic when it shouldn't be. But my reading of it the very first time was that that was completely intentional. Even down to the homage to like walking down the tunnel, like um, it's a 2001 Kubrick homage. And what a place to put that. Like looking the way he does too, you know? The grandiosity – is that is how, or is yep. that even a word? Is that just how over the top it is to to have the, the Kubrick homage and that that Zimmer mm -hmm. ridiculous score come in, and then the way he walks is like chicken legged a little bit, hip <laughs> shoes and a, a polo shirt and a suit, so it doesn't even look right. I really, really, really enjoy it. I my notes say Lex clothes plus music equals yes, all caps. <laughs> Yeah. And that was pretty much my reaction from the first time I've seen it. I don't think it's a particularly deep, you know, scene. I, I feel like we're almost Snyder's level of spectacle that he brings to these things. When it is applied here, it's ridiculous. Well, I even think, is this one of the IMAX scenes? No, <laughs> <laughs> I think it might be actually. Yeah, now that you say that. Well, there's, well, there's like six IMAX scenes or something. Or no, there might be, tw I think Larry Fong might say there's actually 12. But yeah, it is because when it shifts to the um the overhead shot of the base, I feel like it it is. Yeah, and 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 it's funny because Snyder has the reputation for like everyone thinks it's the like the explosions and the fights that that he does over the top. But at least I think this is one of the 
the IMAX scenes, and another for sure is when Lex Luthor gets the the haircut at the end. And so it's so funny for him to take that like grand Christopher Nolan's favorite format, yeah, and just this like known for what they like. If there's gonna be IMAX scenes in a movie, it's always like the biggest frame, the biggest action, the whatever's going on, and he uses it to be like, look at this geek. And the music is almost like Looney Tunes level, yeah, uh, like pantomime. Yeah, like this song could very easily be like a circus song if it's just like the tempo was played with a little yeah, bit. Yeah, like Cue the Elephants. Yeah, like it has that. It makes me appreciate that that isn't in movies that much anymore where the music is used to send up what it's showing. Like if you use similar grandiose music like the, the organs from Interstellar over this, it might like mask the intention a little bit. But here with its... If you ask someone, what is the silliest, I would have loved to have been there for a Zimmer to get the Shakras. Like, what is the silliest operatic music that Lex could have here? Yeah, well, I feel very much like in his head, too, which is just like uh, yeah. so much confidence and ego just strolling out through this hallway in IMAX into the mo- the biggest technological discovery of the human race. I mean, it's, it's it's got the Kubrick reference in it, too, so it's almost like it's supposed to be the um, the obelisk of Luther approaching the obelisk, and we've seen the Indian Ocean, we've heard them yeah. talk about the technology and rebuild Metropolis and everything, and we saw the destruction at the beginning, but now we see, like, oh, no, they built a dome over this in the middle of Metropolis. Like, the, the ship is still there, and they literally built a scientific research site around it. I think Star Labs is supposed to be, like, in that dome also. At least they play it off that way in Justice League. I don't know I don't know if that's, like, an outpost they have or if this is, like, the origin of Star Labs. I would hope. But uh, the, the whole minute is very, I think, big for Lex, but also a lot of visual storytelling in terms of, okay, so they built this dome over the ship and there's researchers um, and scientists there that are looking into it. And I think you even get a shot in this minute inside of the dome to see just how it's not just the ship, but like everything around it. And I imagine there's all sorts of other rubble there. And maybe they even found more, more kryptonite in there. Yeah. And Lex is just like a, a kid in a candy store. And well, Hey, deserved, you know, he, yeah. he got what he was after. I think we returned to the Senator and, and him. He says that he also wants Zod's body, which yeah. Is well, he says I want the what the Kryptonian oh, the dead yeah the dead Kryptonian or yeah dead Kryptonian. yeah so he says what well, you want Zod's body and I love his response it's just okay okay yeah if you say so yeah that's him flexing a little bit right like yeah he's starting to twirl his mustache a little bit because things are going his way and presumably they've already done all the tests that they would have like whatever Lex is going to find out about it is more than what they can they can cut it yeah sure. I mean, fine. It, it, we don't know where they're leaving it. Uh, I mean, I guess we know that the senator is assuming he just wants to cut it. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I guess, it, like, you know, so what are you going to find? there's reason to believe yet that he has any idea of what he's going to be capable of doing with the body? I don't. I'm trying to remember if there was another sh- computer, like another ship or computer that he could have gotten access to the computer on, or to, like, the data on to have yeah. learned about a, a doomsday or the first thing he does when he gets access is tell me everything like absolutely yeah. everything so maybe he might have a, a a theory that that much kryptonian like biomass could be useful for something but i think the fact that we're going to we're going to see the the one purpose that he has for it immediately 
is um, it's it's a good plan. Like I'll give it to Lex. This is a good plan that he's put together. And when you consider that this is on top of everything else going on with Superman and Batman, like wow, we he has a lot of stuff, a lot of balls in the air right now. A lot of Jolly Ranchers in his hand. <laughs> That's what they call a Chekhov's Jolly Rancher. Yep. And uh, we'll have to wait another for the next minute to see that payoff. I yep. know you've been counting the minutes. Oh, I have. Um, I do love how so it opens this minute on the beat, but it also closes it on another beat. Yep. Or, or maybe not closes, but marks the transition again. And uh, those are any minute that can be defined or clearly bookended like that is uh, is, a, is a, one of my favorites. It is like pretty much set to the score. Yeah. Um, so that makes sense that it would. And there we are going to continue with minute 34 next time, which is. And then it's going to bleed into um, into Clark. And I guess we can examine that more in that in that portion. But I think there's a very clear. If you if you imagine there's intentionality behind the contents of zero to fifty nine of each of these minutes, that um, it's intended to be a collection of those ideas. And so even though when we went into like the last minute where we talked about, I think when we transitioned out of the Batcave, I think I said that it ruined like that format actually ruined Alfred's speech. But then looking forward, realizing that what that actually did was put the good turn good men cruel portion of the speech into the same minute with Lex, which actually thematically makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure not that you're supposed to be like sitting in the theater with a stopwatch being like, Oh, I see what Snyder is doing here by breaking it down at the end of these minutes. But, um, like structurally speaking, I think that is really interesting that that happens there. And it's about to happen again. You could even say that Lex has planted his fingers. Oh no. In Clark Kent and Bruce Wayne's lives, but they're not, his prince. <laughs> oh, uh, I guess I don't say obelisk, ob- ob- obelisk that often. Um, he—that's a weird. That's I'm saying that weird. 